a message this morning that is really inspiring. It's amazing. I think for the last couple of three weeks or maybe the last month, it's almost like I've been like this big cheerleader up on the platform. I should have just wore the little skirt today and had the pom-poms and and done all that kind of things. I once did a toe touch and couldn't touch my toes for another two weeks after that and and pulled something really bad. Someone told me, the worst thing you can do to me is tell me I can't do something. Anyone else like that? But one thing I've realized is I'm 38 years of old and my brain still tells me that I can do things that I'm not able to deliver. Come on. Right now, my brain still thinks I'm able to do things that my body cannot deliver on. Kelly tells me all the time, you're not 12 years old anymore. Um, But, you know, all these kind of things. But it feels like I've just been this cheerleader up here. But I thought, how important is that, that I'm cheering you on in the cause, the cause of Christ? I want to teach on a message this morning that says, you have got what it takes. Come on, you have got what it takes. I want to encourage you today to step up into the cause of Christ. I want you to encourage you today to step up to the plate and start swinging. You may not hit a home run, but you know what? A hit's as good as anything. We may not all hit it over the fence, but to get on base is pretty important. Because then we have the chance of scoring a run. I want to stir up inside of every one of you, I believe, abilities and strengths that God has placed there, but we have allowed them to go so deep that we even question whether we are even able at times. I want to encourage and inspire you to realize that there is more in you today than you really realize. Turn to your neighbor and look them square in the eyes and say, you have got what it takes Come on, look at them. Look at the other person on the other side and say to them, you have got what it takes. Come on, I know it. You have got what it takes. You know, it's amazing that there's probably a lot of people that someone looked them square in the eyes and said the words, you've got what it takes. And the first thought that came back into their mind is, are you crazy? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the battles. You don't know the struggles. You don't know the mind games that Satan is playing with me. You don't know the wrong things I've even done this week or even this day. That person beside you may not know all of those things. But God does. And I've come to tell you today, God still wants to use you. God still wants to use you. And here's how I know that you have got what it takes. Colossians 1 verse 27 says these words, which is what? Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Christ in you. How do I know I have what it takes? Because 
God says he wants to be in me, that he is in me, that gives me hope for my life, hope for my future. In this passage of scripture, Paul is talking to the church in Colossae and he's talking about sacrifice or sacrificial service for Christ and how we can all make it. And here's how we can make it. Because Christ is in us. He's there with us. That's our hope and a hope not just for you. I want you this morning to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read a story this morning or a parable this morning. And we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen with us this morning. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1, it says this words, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were wet ready went in to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Five wise and five foolish. For years I've been one of those people that has jumped so quickly on the back of the foolish people and looked and said, what's your deal? How come you weren't prepared? How come you weren't ready? But as I read this passage again this week, something jumped out to me that I saw in verse 5 that I want us to focus in on for a few moments this morning. Verse 5 says, but while the bridegroom was delayed... Notice the next words, they all slumbered and slept. That means that both the wise and the foolish fell asleep. And when it was time, the foolish did not have enough. And the wise had just enough. Say with me, just enough. Come on, say it one more time. Just enough. Now I know what God is trying to show us through this parable. But I believe there is perhaps something else that we need to see today. Because we're so quick to jump on the back of the foolish. And the reality is, they possibly didn't know better. 
That we're so quick to jump on the foolish and say how wrong they are. They should have been prepared. They should have lived right. They should have done. And it was their fault because when they went, the bridegroom came and then they weren't allowed in. Shame on them. But as I read this story, something hit my heart once again. And I had to ask myself the question, who is really wrong here? Is it really the foolish ones? I think the people who are wrong here are the wise. I think the people here who are wrong are the ones who did know better and should have known better, but didn't do better. What do you mean, Pastor P? Yes, they had enough. The Bible says that when the bridegroom came, they got up, they filled their lamps, they trimmed their wick, they set the fire a-going, they had enough oil. But notice what the Bible says. They just had enough for themselves. Just for themselves. They had enough to meet their need, but they didn't have enough for anyone else any other needs that was around them. You see, here's what I believe. I believe that we have been asleep as the church of God for too long. What do I mean by that? We get saved, we give our hearts to Christ, we know we're safe. And what do we tend to do? We tend to coast. We tend just to live life like, because we're safe. And we've got everything safe and we've got everything in place. So what do we tend to do? We just kind of slumber and sleep through life. When opportunities come, we don't really rise up to meet the challenges. Why? Because we're safe. We've got it taken care of. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend anyone. We just get so self-centered. We come to church. It's all about us and what we can get. We give so God will give back what? Just to us. That we'll have just enough. Come on, I believe as the church of Christ, we're in a state of sleep. We're in a state of apathy. We're in a state where we're not really as vigilant as we should be, but we're kind of knocked out unconscious on the couch. Resting back on the fact, hey, I've got it all taken care of. All is good with me. I've said this so many times, but God didn't just save you to save you. Come on, God saved you, yes, that you'll make it to heaven. But God saved you and placed a purpose within your life now, what? To be another light into darkness. But I wonder how many of us, oh, we're wise. Oh, yeah, look at those foolish. How dare they? Come on, let's forget about the foolish today. Let's start looking at the wise. Let's start looking at our lives today. I think it's time that Prince Charming comes along and kisses The princess. Come on, sleeping beauty's been asleep too long. Come on, the church of God, the powerhouse of God has been asleep too long. It's time the prince comes. And we wake up. Turn to your neighbor and kiss. No, I'm only playing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Stop. Please. Please. Some people are sitting there and go, man, I've sat with this girl for three weeks and I've wanted to kiss her. And Pastor P gave me the chores. But you know, it's time that we wake up. Because as a result of us not being alert, as a result of us not being awake, as a result of us not really being about God's work, the reality is we're all safe, but others are going down on our watch. 
Other lives have been lost at the extent of our apathy and the fact that we just have enough. If we don't have oil to give the people around us, where are they going to find hope? If we don't have life to give to people who are around us, where are they going to find the truth and the reality of God and the abundance and the overflowing and the eternal life that He has available for each one of them? If we have no oil to give, we have no hope to give. We have no life to give. And really, we have no purpose to live. If there's no overflow in our lives to release to others, what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Millions upon millions upon millions of people who are going to die last. You may say, well, I don't know millions of people. But when you put the people in your world and add them to the person's world who sits beside you in the next world, do you realize the sphere of influence that we have in this room is probably hundreds of thousands of people? And out of that hundreds of thousands, it's probably safe to say that less than 20% know God and go to church. You know, they tell us that 9% of the Americans today go to an evangelical church, a church kind of similar to this, a church that's alive and preaching the truth. That means there's over 270 million people out there who are left that don't know God in just this nation. While we're safe, while we're sleeping, we need to wake up and realize time is running out. The foolish, the sinners, those who are lost, they probably don't know any better. But what's our excuse? We pull up to the buffet line every Sunday morning and we stuff our faces in church. And we go home so full that we go home and we just take a nap because we're so tired. I want you to realize today, you've got what it takes. You have got what it takes. And what you've got inside of you is not just enough, just for you. You've got more than enough. I like how Malachi shows the image of God. So many times we present an image of God that is so like he's broken, he's destitute, and he's, he, he doesn't know what's going on. I want to see images of the true God, and God's word is full of those. And one image that I see of God is in Malachi. In Malachi, in chapter 3, in verse 10, This is how he describes the kind of God he wants to be for our lives. The kind of blessings that he wants and are available to our lives. This is the kind of God that we serve or we should serve. The Bible says that through giving to him, there's a promise here that he will give back to us. Look what it says in Malachi 3 verse 10. And try me, prove me, put me to the test, says God, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. 
It's not like a little porthole. I think we've witnessed what the windows of heaven are like in the last few weeks around this area as they've been open in the spillways. And we see the rushing water that is just flowing out and the power and the, and the force that is behind that. That's the kind of power and the force that the windows of heaven wants to pour out into our lives, flooding every area, immersing every part, that what that there'll be not only enough for us, but enough for others around. And see if I will not pour out for you such a blessing. I like those words. God could have just said a blessing. He's already said windows of heaven open and there's a blessing, but he just reiterates it again and he says, there is such a blessing. You know what that such a blessing is? That such a blessing is more than enough, not just enough. It's more than enough. That there will not be room enough. There will not be sufficient enough, a large enough space to receive it. You know, the image I've just seen of God right there, Miss Emma, is he's an measureless supply. He's a measureless supply. We're not talking today about a little trickle. We're not talking today about a drip. But we have just talked about a mighty flood. But that flood that God wants to pour upon our lives is not for devastation and it's not for waste. But listen to me, it's for outreach. It's for outreach. Because if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. Come on, let me say that one more time. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. There has to be enough. There has to be enough to run over to others. Instead of sitting back and being like the wise virgins and saying, I've got everything I need. I'm taken care of. Why not ask yourself the question, what about my family? Do they have everything they need? Are they all saved? Are they all taken care of? What about my friends? What about those people I work with? What about those people I don't even know yet? But God's going to bring me into their lives. I have enough. But do they? Is there enough of me? Or is there enough of God in me that is able to touch my family, my friends, my fellow workers, those I don't know, those who are lost and dying? And go into hell. Luke 6 verse 38 says these words. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use. That same measure. Will be used back to you. That means the way I give, the amount that comes out of me is literally the container that God will fill to pour back into my life. Did you get that? The way I give and what comes out of me, if there's just enough and there's nothing coming out of me, God says, I can't get nothing back into you. Oh, but Pastor P, I don't, I listen, you have got what it takes. 
I said, you have got what it takes. Every one of you has the ability today. It's just whether you are choosing to access that or not. How often are we living today with just enough? I want to show you today that you've got what it takes. You have got what it takes. But first, you've just got to wake up. You've got to realize the seriousness of the moment. Kelly and I watched a show last night on Dateline of a man who was convicted of killing and murdering his mother. 26 years he was in prison, screaming his innocence, and they just had proven that he was completely innocent. The police framed the whole situation. 26 years later, he is released out of prison. I mean, can you imagine losing 26 years of your life? At 18 years of age, he was taken and locked out. He is now what in his 40s, losing the prime of his life. But the saddest thing about it is many of us are living the very self-same way. We haven't been convicted by a judge and we're not behind bars in the physical sense, but we've placed ourselves in a prison emotionally, spiritually. And for some of us, that's even spilled over into our physical being. That we're wasting time. How awful that would be. But how awful is it that we are free but yet still live like we're prisoners. That we should be awake but yet we're snoozing. And if you snooze, you know what they say? You lose. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up when you start hearing the President of the United States of America, start messing with Israel. You better start waking up. Why? Because Israel is literally the thermometer of this whole world. What happens in Israel, read for yourself Genesis chapter 12. God is really clear. Those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Those who curse and those who come against. The Bible says you better watch out. I fear for our nation. I fear for this world when we start messing with God's chosen people. And I'm not saying that to inflict fear or panic into you. As a lot of people were last week. There was a lot of people last week who were freaking out on May the 21st. Is the Lord come back? Kelly had some people say, well, what does Pastor Philip think about? They never call me Pastor Philip, but now all of a sudden these people are like, what does Pastor Philip think about that? You know, here's my reply to everyone. Those who were freaking out were those who weren't sure. Can I say that again? Those who were freaking out were the ones who were asleep. Because I'm like, man, God, come back, please. I don't have to pay another house note. How many says amen for that? Come on, I I don't have to see another child get a permit. I mean, Maddie just got a permit this week. That would have saved us something right there. Come on, I wouldn't have had to go through this and I I wouldn't have had to go through the summer in Louisiana again that's as hot as that place that's not heaven, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, come on, God, come back. We're ready. But you see, people are freaking out. But I will say this to you. As wrong as that was for that prediction, because the Bible clearly says that no man knows the time or the hour. Not even the angels. God himself. But as much as we can look at all these things, I am telling you right now, 
Don't look at those things and just blow them off. Look at them and begin to realize that we're in the last days. The weather patterns that are hitting this nation are predicted in God's word. In the last days, things are going to be turned upside down. You're not going to know season from season. I'm telling you right now, I have never known so many tornadoes and such devastation to rip through our nation as we have seen just in weeks, never mind years. Don't panic. Don't panic. But please wake up. Don't panic. But please wake up. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and the commander of the Japanese fleet heard the words, his reply was, I fear we have woken a sleeping giant. I don't know what it's going to take. And I pray it's not absolute disaster And catastrophe before the church, which is the true sleeping giant, wakes up and begins to once again take our place in society. To be the best employer and employee that we can be. To be the best student, the best teacher, to be the best worker, to be the best parent. It's time that we wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read another story today. We're going to read from verse 8 through 16. For some of you, this is the most Bible you've read for a month. 1 Kings 17, verse 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath. It's Elijah speaking which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah rose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her, and he said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her, and he said, Please bring me a morsel of bread. In your hand. And she said to him, verse 12, As the Lord God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. Come on, you have got what it takes. You have got what it takes. I only have a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by Elijah. 
Great little story here about the, the barrel and the jar. The barrel of flour and the jar of oil. But look once again, if you would, at verse 12. It says this, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. See, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go and bake one more cake for us to eat. Then we're going to die. I've preached a message once before that was entitled, Eat and Die. How many would realize or agree with me this morning that there's not a whole lot of hope in this lady's outlook of life? There's not much future there. She's preparing for the last meal and then she's going to die. Now to her, that's all she knew to do. You see, it's so easy, I think, for many of us to read stories like this and stories that we know off by heart or we've heard for so many years. It's so easy for us to look because we already know the end before we almost start the beginning. So it's so easy for us to already know the end of the story or what's about to happen and pass judgment on the fact that she didn't have enough faith or she could have done things a little bit different or this could have been done or that could have been done. But here's what we must see today. That narrow-minded and selfish statement is perhaps so true of our lives. What do I mean? We can look and say, how could she, standing in the presence of a prophet, say we're just going to eat and die? But yet that narrow-minded, selfish statement is also true of us who have not stood before a prophet. But we've stood before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He has changed our lives from the inside out. But yet we still question His ability and His availability for our lives. And the reality is we know the end of the story too. I'm not talking of the end of this story. I'm talking about the end of the story of life. We know the end. We win if we're in God. Come on. You should say amen for that. We win if we're in God. Come on. We need to give an altar call. We've got three people saved in the house. I said we win if we are in God. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. But here's something else I want you to see this morning. Every day, for weeks now, this lady has realized that when this runs out, there's nothing left. She didn't just go into the pantry one day and go, one more day's supply left. Come on, mothers, you know what I'm talking about. You begin to look weeks out and you think, my God, if you don't provide, we've probably only got two more weeks of food left. And every day she would go back, she would look and realize it was getting less and less. So what would happen? They probably went from three meals a day down to two meals a day. And then after it was getting lower and lower, she would have to sit down with her son and the family and she would have to turn around and say, listen, we've got to really start rationing this out. Why? Because we've hardly got anything left. She didn't just wake up. It was something that they had been living in their lives. And what had happened? They had settled for less and less and less and less and less till there was barely enough left. Every day, they had to witness it getting smaller and smaller with less left. This is all we've got. We've got to stretch it out. 
I want to say this to you today. If you're living in a famine today, it's perhaps of your own making. If you're living in a place where every day there's less and less supply for your life, you're not tapped into a God that says more than enough. You see, we get to sleep and we start to coast and we start to believe everything else apart from what God's word says. And you know what it does? It takes us down from three meals a day to two and then to one. And then we're ultimately going to find ourselves in a place where we're going to eat and die. There's going to be nothing left. It's time we don't live the lie of the enemy. It's time that we shake ourselves. It's time that we awake ourselves and realize the hope that we have in Christ. That we have got what it takes. Because we're not only robbing ourselves, but we're robbing our families. We're robbing our children. We're robbing all those around. You've got to start seeing God again as a more than enough God. Come on, I'm going to say that one more time. You've got to stop believing once again that he's a more than enough God. I'm not saying for us to be foolish and stupid and go out and spend and do all these things and just believe that God's going to meet. I'm not talking about that kind of foolishness. But I'm talking about the fact of how we talk and how we live. We're living in a famine. We're talking a famine. When we're talking to people around, there's no hope in our voice. There's no glean in our eyes any longer. We're going for less and less. Oh, it's gloom, doom and despair. No, it's not. It just means that God's coming back real soon. And he's coming back for a spotless bride. He's coming back for those who are prepared and ready. It's time we wake up and realize I've got the possibility to have more than enough. So why am I living with just enough? Why am I living with just enough? You've got to start seeing the God who fed 6 million plus people for 40 years in a wilderness. I mean, that gives me chills when I think about that. Bread in the morning and meat at night. God provided for them every day. You think God is spent out? You think God is not able to provide? I like what he said to Moses. He said to Moses, you think the arm of the Lord has been shortened? Do you think my ability has gone that I can't reach out into your needs? I'm telling you today, you have got what it takes. Why? Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. If he could feed six million complainers in a wilderness for 40 years, I think he can take care of your miserable self. Come on. He can take care of you. Wake up. Prepare yourself. Be ready to give. What did Peter and John say to the lame man? Acts 3 verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. Maybe that's our testimony today. We maybe don't have much silver and gold. Don't have much extra cash. Don't have much to splash out. But what did they say? But what I do have. 
Come on, there's life that I have. Come on, as children of God, you've got life. You may not have extra greenbacks. You may not have extra credit. You may not have all these things. Your job may be uncertain. All these things can be happening. But what you do have, you better start giving again. Come on, there's oil that's inside of you that can meet the needs of others around. There's a fountain that wants to explode inside of you. Not that you'll have just enough, but there'll be more than enough to touch those. Wake us up, God. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, that's what's alive and real inside of me is greater than anything money can buy. That's what Peter was saying. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up. Say with me these words immediately. Because that's what happened. Immediately he jumped up to his feet and he jumped and he praised God. Immediately God healed that man. God healed that man. God set him free. And God healed someone by two guys who were broke financially. They didn't have pocketbooks full of money. But they had God inside of them. Come on, there's a healing that can flow out of you. You've got what it takes today. There's life that can flow out of you. You've got what it takes today. There's hope that's inside of every one of you. You've got what it takes today. That man would have never got up if Peter and John would have said, silver and gold we do have, but we've just got enough for ourselves. Thank you very much. We may have more tomorrow. See you later. I wonder how many of you are saying, if only Pastor P could talk to this person. Come on, I wonder how many of you ever said that. If only I could get this person to church. It's amazing. The Bible says you are the church. You are the one. Getting some to a, someone to a building is not what we're called to do. It's getting someone to God. And we can take them to God wherever we're at. Because we've got what it takes. We've got to rise out of this pit that we have dug for ourselves and realize we have got what it takes. That we're destined for greatness. It's time to live it. There will be hard times, but we've got to realize the promise. Are you ready for it? Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you. Love it. And I'll never forsake you. Never leave. Never forsake. What a promise. And it's the same God that says Ephesians 3 verse 20 that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond the things that we can even wildly dream inside of our minds. This is the God we talk about. You've got to realize today that God that we're talking about, he's in your corner. Come on, he's right there. You're on his team. Come on, you're on the winning team. Remember as kids, you would pick, you would always pick the best person first. Can I tell you, God's picked you. I said, God picked you. You picked the strongest and you picked the best first. Well, you're not the end of the bunch. God picked you. So what does that mean? You're the best. Come on, you're the strongest. You have got what it takes. Come on, you need to wake up. I need to do some toe touches or something in this hand. It's time you realize you have got what it takes. Help me, Jesus. You're the best. You're not one of the ones at the end, oh, you can just have them. God didn't just take anyone. He takes the best. He takes the best. Oh, but I was broken. Oh, you're broken in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, you are still the best. I have nothing to offer. God says, oh, you've got more than you realize to offer. You're the best. 
the best, the best, the best. He chose you. You're the best. I'm going to quickly close with five points this morning. You ready? Five points. Number one, even though you don't know, God does. Even though you don't know, God does. Elijah must have thought God made a mistake. I mean, God sends him to a place and you would have thought that God would have warned the lady of him coming, but she doesn't even know he's coming. And Elijah was probably thinking, my God, what's the deal? Even though we may not know, there's a hope that we can have that God does. I don't know and understand everything that happens in my life. Do I have a witness in the house? I don't understand everything that takes place in my life. But there's a hope that I can have, and that is this. I know who holds my tomorrow. I know who holds my tomorrow. Even though I don't know, I serve a God who does know. And nothing that comes across my pathway is by mistake, but it's by divine order. Because if I'm living by God, He allows those things to come across my pathway into my life. He knows my end from the beginning. I love that. He doesn't know the beginning from the end. He knows the end of the story, and then He comes back to the beginning. This means he knows the outcome of the race before the gun has even gone off. Come on. He knows what's ahead of us. Elijah could have easily looked and said, God, what's the deal? But you know what he did? He didn't question God. He spoke in faith. Go and make me a cake. Instead of questioning God, we need to start speaking the faith that we know. We need to start stirring up the gift that's inside of us. We need to start releasing the word of God through our lives. Start living that. We may not know, but we know one who does. And we know the words and the truth of God. We need to start living those. And as his faith spoke, notice what happened. It connected with the little faith that she had. And when his faith connected with her faith, however small it was, you know what happened? Great faith arose. We may not know, but as we start speaking in faith, we'll start connecting with other people's faith. They may not even know there's faith there. It may be broken and it may be just eat and die. But as the word of God goes forth, the Bible says it shall not return void. It's going to accomplish that which it's sent out to do. So it may be a little faith, but it's going to start welling up and become big faith. We don't know every twist and we don't know every turn, but he does. We must choose to trust him. Number two, we've got to be honest, we've got a problem. We've got to be honest, we've got a problem. I think as children of God and as Christians, one of the hardest things we find in our lives is to ask for help. To ask for help. I know he didn't like her statement. And I know we didn't like her statement, I'm going to eat and die. But her honesty paved the way for the miracle. Here's why I want you to be honest that there's a problem today. Because I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have enough oil today to share with others? We've got to start being honest. We've got to start being honest, not only with ourselves, but before God. We've got to look at our lives and ask ourselves if we're really awake or we're asleep. Maybe it's time to come clean and be honest with God. Stop hiding behind your Christianity and realize there's a bigger picture than just you. Have you got a problem today? She said she had a problem, but when she admitted the problem, God was able to meet the need. Number three, 
Make a decision. What do you mean make a decision? You've got to either choose to accept or deny. God is either able or he's not. Would she believe God or eat her last meal? Come on, you've got to either believe God or not. You've got what it takes. Come on, you've got what it takes. But are you prepared to believe that? Are you prepared to live that? You've got to make some decisions today in your life. And your decisions you make today cannot be based upon the circumstances of your life. The decisions you make today need to be based upon God's word and what his word says and the faith that's alive inside of you. Listen, the devil wants you to eat your seed and die. Today is decision day to go all out for God or to go back to sleep. Number four, with the decision, now you've got to choose whether you're going to obey God. The whole time she was baking, I'm sure she was trying to talk herself out of her miracle. You can question it all you want. But if you realize that was all that was left and this was the last meal... In her mind, all she could see was her son. That was her number one reason. That was her number one person to provide for. And she's making a cake for someone else before her son. In her mind, there's a struggle. There's a battle that's going on. Come on, there's going to be struggles and battles that's going on when we wake up and the bills are piling up and things that are happening and all these things. But remember, we made a decision and now we've got to obey God. We've got to start realizing there is more than enough. Come on, there's not just enough. We've got to start obeying God. Today, you are the only one that can rob yourself of your miracle. To obey is not always easy. In fact, the prophet Samuel said to obey may require sacrifice. There's going to be sacrifice in obeying God. If you look in the Old Testament, what does sacrifice involve? Involves giving something and killing it. And it dying. For what reason? That the presence of God would come down. We can look and think that it's life of sacrifice. There's going to be inconvenience. But can I tell you, that's God's way of killing things in your life, that his presence can be poured upon you in a new and powerful way. But remember this, obedience is not just doing. But real obedience is doing that which is right. To honor and obey. Number five, get ready. Get ready. God has more than enough. Now, I don't believe the pantry was full. Every day she went back and it was just the little jar and it was just the little mount that was left in the bottom of that barrel. But every day she picked that jar up and poured it out. She picked that barrel up and poured it out and more came and more came. And more came, and more came. Come on, it's time by faith today to start pouring it out on our homes. Pouring it out in our workplaces. Pouring it out over our finances. Pouring it out over our health and over our life. As I close today, Aaron, if you'd come back. Remember last week we preached a message, wow, I got to share my lunch. And got to help play a part in a miracle. Remember in that story, the 12 baskets that were left over? Remember that? 12 baskets that were left over. Once again, that wasn't waste. But to show us and them that the need is endless. Come on, the need is endless. It doesn't stop. In fact, I believe the need is greater today.
than it's ever been. And just like the 12 basketfuls left shows the fact that the need is endless and it doesn't stop, you and I must also not stop. It's time that we realize today we have got what it takes. It's time for us to wake up and serve God. I don't want to be like the wise. I want to be wiser. I want to have not only enough for me, I want to have enough that I can give to others around. Because I don't want to see anyone go down on my watch. I've got what it takes. Come on, you've got what it takes. If you believe that with me this morning, stand to your feet all over this place. Come on, you've got what it takes. Come on, as you're standing to your feet, you start telling the devil, you start telling your life, you make a proclamation this morning. Come on, I've got what it takes. Come on, I've got what it takes. I may be battered and bruised. I may be broke. I may be destitute. I may not. But you know what? I've still got what it takes. I've still got what it takes. Don't settle for just enough. When God says, what does God say? Just enough? What does God say? More than enough. More than enough. I've got what it takes. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven all over this place. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.